Coming to you from New York City. This week and every week, it's the Ben Kissel Show. Um, all right, you ready to go? Yeah. What? <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Ben Kissel, as always, joined by Mike Coscarelli. Thanks for being here, Mike. Thank you, Ben. I'm honored to have today's guest. He is co-founder of Troma Entertainment and the creator of some of the greatest films in film history. Of course, he directed Tromeo and Juliet. Class of Newcomb High, and one of my personal favorites, the Toxic Avenger, Lloyd Kaufman, is here with us today. Wow. Thank he's, you. He's one of my favorite directors. I'll mm. tell you that. This is Mike talking. Oh, thanks, Mike. <laughs> thanks a lot, Mike. Well, Ben, thank you for inviting me on the You're an, uh, show. Absolutely. Thanks for doing it. You're a true icon and an American hero. I did some research on you. I've been reading up. You went to Yale University, and I was surprised to learn you majored in Chinese studies. I did. What was it about Chinese studies that got you so interested? Well, uh, Mao was so successful with his five-year plans. Only about uh, 200 million people starved to death. So mm -hmm. I figured uh, <laughs> I could learn some excellent things at his knee. So you went to uh, Yale University. Not a lot of people know that. You went there with Oliver Stone, and you were also in the same class as George W. Bush. What yes. a trio. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, freshman year, I remember, Bush was going around campus uh, looking for weapons of uh, mass destruction. Uh, we never could figure it out, but uh, luckily uh, Oliver Stone deconstructed it right away. That's great. Well, you're definitely the least war criminal out of everyone that went to Yale that year. So uh, I'm, a proud, I'm a proud draft resistor, no problem. No, not even a resistor. No, I was a draft dodger, excuse me. I took drugs the night before the draft board, uh, physical. I took, uh, my friend gave me something that was like a downer, and I put on a Snoopy leather helmet, uh, that Snoopy thing he wears in the comic strips, and I went down there, and I checked off everything, gay, <laughs> syphilis, <laughs> eyes on penis, anything, you know, I didn't yeah. realize there was I'm an actually not proud of that, but that's what I did. And had it had I had to go into that stupid war, I probably would have ended up as a uh, citizen of Croatia. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean absolutely. The entire world would be uh, out an unbelievable artist if you were forced to go into Vietnam. Well, you're very kind, Ben, but um I would never have I went to Vietnam actually. I did go to Vietnam uh uh because my my friend who I met in Taiwan mm -hmm. uh, who is now Congressman Dana Rohrabacher, mm. whose ideas I don't particularly embrace, but he is a good, honest, uh, uh, sincere public servant. Yeah. Uh, when we were in college, we became buddies. He took me on uh, these CIA planes, and we did spend a, a week or so in Vietnam during the war, during that last show election that they had. We were there, 1967, I believe it was. And, and what was your impression of Vietnam when you got to uh, go visit during the war? It seemed like a very well-meaning attempt that the the soldiers that I met were all very well-meaning and sincere and believed in the cause. The ones I met, right. I didn't meet any of them that shragged the lieutenants or any of that stuff. And I was unable to procure any drugs from any soldier. So I had a good impression that these were dedicated, honest people uh, just right. stuck in the wrong place, you know, and, uh, you know, wrong war. It was a bad war. Luckily, we've had no bad war since, and <laughs> I'm living happily ever after. By the way, oh, yeah. I was over uh, on an airplane with the Pope Francis. You heard of him? Of course. Know. Apparently, he's coming to New York. I hope they make some preparations because the newspapers have said, no media said nothing about this Pope Francis coming to New York. I don't see any protection. I don't see any, where are all the disturbances and the traffic and the, the bunkers and the guns and all that? No, well, no, if we that's learned irony. I'm kidding. They're all over the goddamn place. And it's, it took me a half, an hour and a half to get here from two blocks away. Yeah, and but we learned he gave me. Pope Francis gave me on the airplane this beautiful Blu-ray of Class of Newcomb High Part 2, not to be confused with Return to Newcomb High Volume 2, which we're currently editing. Uh, he asked me to give you this. This is wow. Subhumanoid sub Meltdown, uh, the second Class of Newcomb High. Oh, my God. Blu-ray just came out, Ben. And, we uh, have just had the exchange. I'm holding it in my hand right now. Class of Newcomb High 2. This is one of the greatest moments in podcast history, and dare I say the highlight of my career so far. That could be the, the first uh, Blu-ray off, the, uh, off the, 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 the assembly line. That Citizen Toxie is coming out, too, now, the fourth Toxic Avenger movie, which right. is my favorite Toxic Avenger And I definitely movie. want to talk to you about the Toxic Avenger, and I wanted to talk, uh, talk to you about its environmental message, which not a lot of people understand but going back really environmental quick, has the word mental i think you should focus on that part of it because, uh, 
I'm a manic depressive and I want to blow my fucking brains out. I'll tell you that. <laughs> hey, you and this, me both. This neighborhood too with two, the, the Penn Plaza, two Penn Plaza is uptown from 11 Penn Plaza. Well, that was pretty interesting. By the right. way, congratulations to our good friend, Mayor de Blasio, because there is a great army of bums out front mm-hmm. uh, all over the place of old, young, uh, many young bums. Very I, diverse. I, but I think, yeah, diverse. He mm-hmm. likes diversity. He does. And what I really like, there were many young bums, uh, you know, uh, who were on the, on the streets begging, which uh, right. is kind of interesting because I don't think they should have jobs, the young men. I don't think they should do that. No, uh, totally capable, young, mostly white no, they men. Should beg, yeah. uh, they should beg. You're right. They, uh, and they, mm-hmm. they, I noticed their signs are rather well written. They seem to, uh, uh, grammatically, yeah. they're correct. One of them said... Uh, uh, please, uh, hungry and cold, and then in parentheses they they put at night, just because those of us <laughs> cynical New Yorkers would think, oh wait a minute, it's 108 degrees here right. in smelly New York. Uh, how can you be cold? Right. He put in parentheses at night. Well, that makes all the sense so in the congratulations world. Congratulations to Mayor De Blasio, and thanks for closing those uh, shelters that you've been closing that nobody knows about. Not even the New York Post. Only mm. Ben, Kiss, ben Kissel knows. That's right. I informed Lloyd earlier about the mm. uh, about the uh, mental institutions. And De Blasio can kick my can kiss my can Kissel can Kissel my ass. It took me a while to get out. I took some cat tranquilizer this morning, so I'm <laughs> a little off. I apologize, Mike. Right, some Ben's hey, used you don't to, have it, to apologize. Ben's to used yeah. to it. What's no, that? never apologize. You don't got to apologize to Mike. He's he's one of the nicest guys around. Um, so well, that's why I should apologize to him. No, Poor I bastard is here with you. <laughs> it's true. He does hate every second of it. Pathetic. Uh huh. Anyway, so, where were we? So we were in Vietnam. You were flying there for a week. Um, you were discussing. Uh, intelligently getting yourself out of having to go and fight in Vietnam. What way, What was the uh, persuasion to get into film? Was that something you always wanted to do? Because obviously, again, at Yale, you were majoring in Chinese studies. Was there a major turning point in your life where you saw something or there was a life event that you were like, I need to do film? Well, there was a majoring, major turning point in my majoring of my major. Uh, I believe in uh, kind of the liberal, old-fashioned uh, liberal uh, education. Mm-hmm. And I had spent uh, my youth at an old boys school here in Tr- New York, Trinity School. Uh, in, it's no longer old, bo- old boys, so I'm not as interested. But um, <laughs> I used to troll for dates. Very successful. <laughs> good, good. And then Yale was old boys. And it was all about Western, you know, with my day, which is uh, 50s and 60s. Right. I graduated from Yale in 1968. Uh, the, 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 the the school I had it was all about Western uh, culture. Mm-hmm. So I thought I should devote my college career to Africa and China because there seemed to be billions of people there about which about whom I had never read or been or been taught. Right. So uh, that was that was as simple as that. And um, I had a socialist grandmother who actually uh, she was buddies with Scott Nearing and some of the old time uh, socialists. And I had read a book called uh, Brave New World, which was not Aldous Huxley, which I also read, but was about China, written by Scott Nearing, and kind of opened my brain a little bit about uh, Chiang Kai-shek and uh, how evil he was and and that Mao actually may be the chinshir huanti of modern times. Uh, because you have boy, such am a, I boring? Sorry. No, anyway, you're not boring. Something much more interesting that you asked me. But what the hell was it? I don't remember. Well, I mean, I, I think that uh, this is all fascinating. The audience loves listening to it, and everything I you say hear, is valid. I, hear I promise. Turning the dial, no. or whatever you guys have. No one's ever turned off the show. They know oh, for oh, a fact. Okay. Dial. Yeah, I'll show up at their house, and I will. Uh, <laughs> I'll eat all their food out of the refrigerator. That's that's being haunted by the Kissel when you no longer have any ketchup you in your refrigerator. A, you have a beautiful voice, Ben. Thank you so much. So um, so how does this worldview, you have a thirst for knowledge, a thirst for information. You want to explore cultures that you didn't pre, that you didn't currently live in. And like you were saying, at this point in education, it was focused on Western civilization and mostly domestic. How does your worldview, um, how did you put that into film? And uh, when, you, when you started to create movies, what was your motivation? Was it to spread, a, um, was it to spread more information about the world, give a more, uh, more perspective to uh, the common person? Well, um, I, speaking of spreading, I, spent, I took a year off from Yale and uh, spent a year in Chad, in the bush of Chad, with no okay. electricity and no uh, running water. And uh, they spread some mighty fine uh, venereal diseases to me. Uh, Did you avoid it, or no, no, shit, no. I had penises on my, I had uh, eyeballs on my penis. That was a horrendous <laughs> thing. And uh, so I, I, I was there doing good works, of course. Uh, but um, uh, it was all part of my uh, my uh, getting ready for my film career. But I, I right. didn't know and I was going to make movies when I went to Yale. I was going to be a, a a social worker or a teacher. Uh, 
make the world a better place. Uh, right. Uh, teach uh, uh, teach uh, people with hooks for hands how to <laughs> finger paint. Uh, you know that kind of stuff. And teach bums when uh, out there in uh, Penn right. Plaza how to. Uh, paint uh, faces on uh, beads and string the beads together, that kind of stuff. Of course. But I got placed in a room my freshman year with a movie nut who ran the Yale Film Society, Robert, okay. Robert Edelstein. He would not let me climb into bed with him. Uh, it was a very small bedroom. I remember distinctly that his uh, our beds were head to toe, and we I, at night I would inhale his Godard stinking feet, <laughs> and the aroma du trauma started to percolate. I'd go, I'd drift into the film society movies that Robert was programming, right? And I just get keep getting blown away. And um, uh, what was the uh, first movie that you saw that you fell in love with? I don't know the first one, but uh, John Ford. It was uh, more by directors. I speak mm-hmm. French, uh, so they had a big stack of Cahiers de Cinema. The French uh, Cinematheque magazines uh, happened to be in French, and they were sitting there. I was, probably was the only one who spoke French. The, the Yale Film Society had a subscription. So I'd read through these things, and the theory that uh, the writers uh, were journalists, Godard and, and uh, Chabrol, and in the early 60s, they were um, still journalists phasing into filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I bought into their auteur theory of filmmaking, meaning that the... Uh, they propound that the director should be the author of the film and that his, mm. his or her or its uh, uh, heart and soul and spirit should go into the film. And I bought into that, and hence I stayed in New York and uh, ruined my life. <laughs> it's all because of Robert Edelstein, you bastard. Now he's working for the New York Nazi Times. Oh, classic. But he's a great guy. He's a great guy. And um, and um, I, I, I was the movie that pushed me over the line was Ernst Lubitsch's To Be or Not to Be, okay. uh, which uh, was uh, starring Jack Benny, Robert Haft, and Carol Lombard. And uh, I was just uh, knocked away, and I decided during that movie, that masterpiece, which was a yin and yang Taoist kind of an experience because it's a crazy movie, but also beautifully, beautifully constructed and perfectly uh, uh, classic in its uh, organization, it was yin and yang, and uh, and Taoism was my big takeaway from Chinese studies. Mm. And during that movie, I decided to um, devote my life to um, to the public uh, moviegoers. And, Amazing! Uh, it was as easy as getting out of the lazy boy and uh, going to the refrigerator and cracking open a beer. It, it just was. Well, now you're talking my language. I know exactly how to do that. Although I don't get out of the lazy boy, I have one of those lazy boys that has a little refrigerator built right into it. Oh, I'm nice. king lazy. Oh, nice. That is yeah. excellent. Excellent. I, I hate moving. If I if I never move a day in my life. I was the only one who was jealous of Terry Schiavo. Yeah. I, I thought she was living the American dream, just well, getting fed through a tube and you didn't have to do anything. It may, the, the dream part sounds right. I, it may have been more of a European kind of a dream. Well, yeah, or, you never Actually, know. in the 60s at Yale, there were a lot of drugs. Uh, yeah. We had some amazing LSD-induced dreams. Terry might have been on some of those. Well, you never know. That's yeah. certainly, if yeah. I'm ever in a coma, mark my words, this is for the record. Let me be. I'm having a great time. Yeah. I love I yeah. love dreaming. The other, As a matter of fact, last night, I truly, this is true, I had a dream that I ate chicken wings. I could just do that in real life, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a very creative dream. I, I dream that uh, I'm Jesus quite a bit and that I'm being uh, crucified. And I, I'm reviewing a documentary for a film, a, a movie site called Talk House Film, and a, a documentary about Russell Brand. And I've been interested. Apparently, he uh, not only dreams about being, but he thinks, I think, if I haven't finished it, uh, because the, the stupid Vimeo, Vimeo right. sucks, and it, it locked on me, and I only got about seven minutes in. Uh, well, but apparently, Rand thinks he's Jesus. But he thinks he actually, I don't think I am Jesus. Uh, right. Russell uh, Brand. I am a narcissist, but I don't go that far. Brand, yeah. I think, thinks he's Jesus. Yeah. He seems to really think he might be the second Jesus. Well, and nothing wrong with that. Good for him. Jesus is black. He's not British. And Russell Brand is nothing even close to uh, the savior of the... Um, of humanity. But anyway, Russell, he's a very wealthy child. He comes from a lot of nepotism, and of course, he's out of his mind. But Is uh, he a rich kid? Oh, yeah, they're all rich kids. What, no, what, but he went to his home. It looked like it was in the slums. Uh, what, I'm sure just that's his slum fake, house. Fake home second. Yeah, all these people, they, <laughs> they have say a slum. They're Warren, I've heard that Warren Buffett, uh, who says he lives in the same house for all his life, this little little mm-hmm. house, that apparently he's got a huge mansion with all sorts of Trixies and of course. hot babes. And <laughs> I'm sure he <laughs> it's does. It's behind the little house Ugh. that he... <laughs> Those poor women. When Uncle Warren comes home, you got to put on the put on the uh, bikini and go perform for him. I'm sure they don't love those uh, days at the job. Well, there was that terrible mix-up when they thought uh, when uh, Gigi thought it was Jimmy Buffett she was going mm. that she was going right. to be buffeting. 
No, no margaritas at Warren Buffett's house. Yeah, That's for certain. What can you do? So you have unbelievable world experiences. You're yes, at Yale. You go to wise. Chad, yes. and you fall in love with cinema. How do you turn your love for making movies into trauma entertainment? This is not easy to do. No, it is still very, it is more difficult than ever to do. Troma Entertainment is the oldest independent movie studio, probably the longest running, certainly in the, in, in America. Uh, it's almost 42 years now. Right. And um, it, is, it gets harder and harder. We're more famous than ever, but due to the consolidation in the industry, uh, we are more and more pushed down into the reeds of the underground. And thank you, Ben, for uh, being interested in Troma Entertainment. Uh, I, the idea was the the, the French, uh, the the uh, the idea of having total control over one's uh, movies, mm-hmm. having total control over one's art. And uh, the way I thought to do that would be to start a little movie studio that might give Michael Hers, mm-hmm. uh, my friend from Yale, who met my brother in summer camp years before, that would give us an opportunity to make a movie every so often and maybe give other uh, auteur-type directors uh, one-of-a-kind uh, opportunities to make one-of-a-kind movies. And uh, so when to you some were... extent, we've succeeded. We okay. just don't make any money. <laughs> well, none of us do. Not, not in today's America. No, it's a free. everything's free. What was the first <laughs> film that you, uh, that you directed? Uh, the very first film I directed was at Yale, a black-and-white, uh, almost silent film, uh, it was a feature-length movie. I was always interested in that uh, format. Uh, in the 60s, the psychedelia movies were popular, short, psychedelic, abstract kind of things. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to be... They, they didn't really have any film courses at Yale. Uh, they had one or two uh, that... Uh, uh, one was a history course by Stan Lauder, uh, which was excellent. And the other one was a filmmaking course, which, of course, did not accept me when they <laughs> saw the, the Girl Who Returned, my feature-length movie, The Girl Who Returned, black and white, made with a Bolex, uh, the Bolex is not an is not a venereal disease. It's a mm. Swiss-made camera, but it does not accept sync sound. It doesn't emit a sync pulse. So you shoot the film silent, mm. and then you put on a narration track and some sound effects and music. But you can't have a conversation. You can't have sync sound. Right. So so um, I made the girl who returned, uh, which was a, a short a, a, a feature-length movie about the world is in two. Two parts: one country is female and one country is male, right. and they come together every four years in a, a kind of an Olympics. And I learned from that experience. Uh, we we um, when the film was finished, we sent it around to colleges uh, to to see if we can make a little money. Right. Uh, Harvard, Yale, um, North Carolina. It were, it, we had a few college dates, and I learned that no matter how bad a movie is, people usually don't ask for their money back. I don't think anybody. You know, we charged a dollar, which in 1960-whatever-seven, that was a lot of money. Right. And uh, the other thing I learned was uh, we made a a poster, at least at Yale. I don't know what the other schools did. But at Yale, we made a poster with with uh, the star of the movie uh, lying on her back. uh, She had just jogged a lot. She was training for the uh, Olympic, male-female Olympics. And she was very sweaty and laying on her back, and her eyes were shut. And um, it looked pretty sexy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had pretty good fun bags or whatever you call them. Yeah, that, that'll work. That's, that is actually what I call them. Oh, good, yeah. good. See? Nailed it. That's why we are together. And um, uh, there's some nice hotels across the street, by the way. Some of those, mm. We could bring some of those bums up there and yeah, have, yeah, yeah. have some bum bags. At any rate, uh, <laughs> we, uh, uh, whatever I was talking about is fascinating. Yes, I know. of course. You're discussing the first film that you made in 1967. Yeah, oh, and we, we made this poster. A poster of the attractive young uh, non-male on her back and, right. uh, with her eyes shut and put it up around campus. The same night, I think they were showing either, uh, they were showing, I think, Detour, uh, which is uh, by, um, anyway, it's one of those B-noir classics. Sure. Oh, hell, what's... Uh, oh, it uh, doesn't matter. No, it's by a guy you know, uh, uh, I'm forgetting names now. But in any event, they all they did was put up, which is, it's a masterpiece. Detour is a masterpiece. I'm just going to say it was and, John and, Hughes. I like John Hughes. So <laughs> he's rest in peace, John. It's uh, um, uh, it, uh, John Hughes Grant. He was a very popular uh, pickup artist on Sunset Boulevard. There you go. Um, in any event. Uh, so you learned no but, one will return no, money. No, what happened is they, the, uh, the Detour movie put mm-hmm. up just the name of uh, Edgar Ulmer. Edgar Ulmer. 
they had the, his movie uh, just black and white poster with the name and the and the and the uh, the auteur, the director. Right. But my movie had this hot, what looked like a hot young gyno uh, athlete on the ground. Right. You didn't know what she could have been laid. She could have been. Who knows what happened to her, but it looked pretty sexy. Right. So the theater was pretty full uh, for The Girl Who Returned. And whereas the uh, masterpiece, Detour, had about two people in it. So right. I learned that not only do people not ask for their money back, no matter how bad the movie is, yeah. but they will uh, come in if you have kind of an uh, intriguingly uh, sexy poster, especially if it's an all-boys school like Yale was. Right. I mean, everyone is very pent up over there, and I'm sure they're... Uh... I know you'll learn a lot at film school paying $50,000 for NYU and USC, but right. I think that was probably a very valuable lesson that I got for free at Yale University. Yeah, it turns out sheltered and uh, shackled sexuality is really the mo- major motivation to create good art. It certainly was with the Pope Francis, I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you... Uh... When he was in Argentina, he was uh, he was a firebrand he, he oh yeah he castigated those generals he didn't no i'm being ironic i don't recall him saying anything to the generals who murdered and mass murdered people right i still can't figure that out i cannot figure that one out i can't let it go it's terrible isn't it? well he's just a pope at the end of the day he's no he's no russell brand he's no savior no he's no savior uh, <laughs> but, right. uh, but uh, he's costing uh, us taxpayers a shitload of money i had a great honor to work with you um, a few months ago, well, and uh, I got to do, uh, I got to play the Toxic Avenger mm-hmm. for a uh, for a parody of um, a Christmas Carol. Yes, it was beautiful. And uh, beautiful. I played uh, Toxic Avenger drunk. I think I think I was the Toxic Avenger when he stopped working out for a few years and uh, began to love Coors Light. I think that was my Toxic Avenger character. Good well, you were the ghost of Christmas past, of Toxic, Toxie, uh, Toxie past. Of Toxie past. Yeah, it's it was on a, YouTube. Uh, give it a, uh, go give it a watch right now. It's, right, one of, uh, it's a great short. By the way, short. speaking of that, Troma has a channel, uh, YouTube uh, movies. Troma movies on YouTube. Right. There are about 250 free movies to thank our fans for uh, supporting us for 40 years and lots of short uh, content, as they call it, that we put up every day, including your piece, uh, which was a call, I think, a trauma Halloween carol or a, something like that. Yeah, yeah I believe it was, it was a the takeoff. It was like Dickens' uh, yeah. Christmas Carol. When did you come up with the character, the Toxic Avenger? Well, we had uh, been making movies that were raunchy, uh, hilarious uh, comedies, like Squeeze Play, Waitress, Stuck on You, The First Turn On. Uh, which was Vincent D'Onofrio's first film, oh. and Marissa Tomei actually. No, no, she premiered in Taxi. Uh, but uh, we we uh, we are ahead of Porky, so we started. Mm. We were doing well with those movies, and the industry wasn't so consolidated. So there were lots of theaters that wanted uh, trauma movies. But what happened was the major studios started to make those same movies, mm. but they were uh, playing unfair. They were using good actors and good scripts. <laughs> so we, trauma team, the trauma, Michael Hers and I, we had to go into another area. Right. And, and one day, uh, Mr. Hers was reading uh, one of the uh, trade magazines, a Variety maybe, a Hollywood Reporter, and he know, and there was a headline about uh, horror films are commercially dead. Mm. So uh, he he said, Lloyd, look at this. Uh, so yes, Eureka, we'll make a horror film. Uh, we've been somewhat successful by doing the opposite of what the pundits and the experts uh, suggest right that's why i'm voting for george pataki for president because i know he's going to make it (laughs) (laughs) no he's a good guy actually we made we made several movies in peekskill new york where he was mayor and he's a fan he's a very good guy Uh, absolutely good guy he loves trauma well that's the first nice thing i've heard about george pataki he really is a good guy we've met him and my wife uh, was the new york state Film commissioner. Right. Here's an example of why Pataki has some guts. My wife uh, was uh, uh, appointed by Pataki to be the New York State Film Commissioner after Surf Nazis Must Die, Blood Sucking Freaks, mm-hmm. uh, Toxic Avenger, and and um, this is back in 1994. Mm-hmm. You know, that's 20 years. You know, Troma wasn't quite. You know, the Museum of Modern Art hadn't selected us yet right. to be in the Contender series. We were still. Uh, you know, reviled. And when she was appointed, the Teamsters and the Union, there were many objections. They didn't want Mrs., you know, so-called Mrs. Troma to be a film commissioner. But right. she was there for 20 years, reappointed by both the 
a Democrat and Republican governor. She just retired. So Amazing. Pataki had guts. He was not a. He just was mild mannered. You know, he, right. he, he wasn't. A, he's not as good looking as a Fiona, whatever her name is. Carly Fiorina. Carly Fiona Fiorina. Sorry. Um, so the Toxic Avenger came out of necessity. You could no longer do. We the couldn't Porky's do what we were genre. doing, so we went to a new area. I've written six books, and I talk uh, in one of them. All I need to know about filmmaking, I learned from the Toxic Avenger, which is my memoir. Uh, which, by the way, that book which I wrote. Uh, the uh, all I need to know about filmmaking I learned from the Toxic yeah. Avenger available safely and securely from uh, www.tromashop.com. Uh, that book uh, that I wrote was written by James Gunn, uh, who went on to uh, write Tromeo and Juliet, wow. and a little film called Guardians of the Galaxy, which he also directed. Mm, I don't know right. how it turned out, but. Uh, I had a couple of seconds on screen of that movie. If you'd I like, s- like to see Uncle Lloydie in action. Yes, I did see you in that. I believe it was the prison scene, correct? That is correct, yes. yes. And it was a great movie, and you absolutely crushed the role. Thank and, you, uh, thank you. I, I definitely drank a couple of extra sips of the uh, vodka that I snuck into the theater as soon as I saw you in respect of nice. your work. Nice. I your hope f- it was Popov vodka. That's, oh, only Popov yes, vodka. It's the best. Yeah, absolutely. So creating the Toxic Avenger, what was something that you learned because now, obviously, you're out of the booby flicks. Uh, you're into a much more um, action-based uh, uh, film, which, by the way, there was also a great play on Broadway, The Toxic Avenger, which I went to see. It was phenomenal. Best play I've seen in a the very musical. long time. You saw the, the musical. The musical yeah. was absolutely four actors yeah, really well played. Good. The four actors played about 16 characters, and I have no idea how five actors uh, played uh, around 16 characters, roughly. I have no idea how they did the uh, costume changes, the makeup changes, in such an unbelievable fluid fashion. Uh, the Toxic Avenger really is a icon of America, and people know him, uh, the character, all around the world, obviously not just in this country. So when you went in to make that movie, what were some of the new experiences and what were some of the things you had to learn when it comes to changing genres? Well, we the, the the thing that made us successful with Squeeze Play Waitress Stuck on You is that we mixed genres. We mm. did we had sex, and slapstick comedy and right. political content and and uh, satire, and with Toxic Avenger we we added in the gore and the horror and the the uh, the um, it's like a Cuisinart of genres. Right. And uh, what we had to learn though was uh, car crashes and uh, you know we had to kind of get into the. Uh, the head crushing business uh, right. and the and do it inexpensively. What's the best way for a a, uh, a person who wants to go make a film right now? What's the best way to get a perfect head crush in a film? Well, we have we have used the uh, wig on a cantaloupe system. <laughs> you and it must be a cantaloupe. I fired uh, somebody who brought uh, a watermelon, to, a small <laughs> watermelon. I, Tales from the Crapper. We crushed Trey Parker's head. Uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone started with Troma, mm-hmm. uh, their movie Cannibal the Musical. Yes. Uh, but he is in Tales from the Crapper. And uh, a young man, I said, get cantaloupe, get cantaloupe, get cantaloupe. He brings a small watermelon. I fired him right on the spot, right from the set. Well, you don't <laughs> mess around with Lloyd and the cantaloupe. When Wes Craven brought me that, that watermelon, I that was the end of him. I don't know where he went from there. But yeah. in any event, uh, you, you paint a happy face on the, on the cantaloupe. Mm-hmm. And you, you, first you carve out the cantaloupe. And right. then you put in, in the old days, before I became vegetarian, we put in, uh, uh, you know, disgusting things. And, right. But I don't do that anymore. Now it's mainly... Uh, uh, Soy? Uh, well, it's uh, spaghetti sauce and cranberry sauce mm. and, and um, some ripped up toilet paper, whatever looks good. Right, And then right. put the wig on the head and attach the head, attach the cantaloupe to a, um, to a body, uh, to a t- torso, mm. and then uh, the... You step on it, and it, it's pretty good. Brilliant. We've yeah. been doing that now since 1983. We've been crushing heads with the cantaloupe. Nobody's complained. We wanted to use uh, real children uh, instead of the uh, cantaloupe for Toxic Avenger, but uh, I realized I'd be uh, spending all my cigarette money on my um, bitch in prison. Uh, yeah, of course. I think I, it is technically illegal to murder children on film. So it would appear, at least, yeah. uh, Brian Williams. Uh, oops, not uh, Brian Singer seems to feel so. Uh, oh, yeah, the X-Men director who is uh, quite a pedophile. Uh, no, that's impossible. Come on. <laughs> I don't believe it. Not for a minute. So when you made the talk... <laughs> hey, Brian Williams is coming back, speaking of uh, oh, yeah? assholes. Uh, uh, he's going to interview <laughs> the Pope, apparently. he's going. They're going to put him on... Uh, 
Yeah, that's well, his reward. He's going to get to uh, cover the Pope or something two, like that. Two liars talking to each other. Isn't I think that, that sounds wonderful. Well, the Pope. I love it. Were you expecting the Toxic Avenger to be such a huge hit? Because obviously Toxie now is the uh, mascot of Troma. Uh, or did you guys kind of throw it out there? And obviously as an artist, you never know if the audience is going to like it or hate it or what it's going to be. Were you a little bit surprised with how uh, successful Toxie became? Uh, you know, honestly, this is horrible, but I am a narcissist. Every time we make a movie, uh, I believe it's really great. I, in my heart of hearts, I believe it's really great. Michael Hers, on the other hand, <laughs> he thinks they suck. And uh, <laughs> he thinks that we keep making the same movie over and over and over again. But I honestly thought The Toxic Avenger was a great movie. And yeah. uh, when we first ran it up the flagpole, nobody saluted. We couldn't get one theater. We brought it to the Cannes Film Festival uh to try to find uh, international distribution, not not a, no sale, nothing. Right. And then the Bleecker Street Cinema, which was owned by one of Warhol's people, uh, friends, uh, Jackie Reynal, who was French, by the way. Okay. She looked at the movie, unlike the other theaters. Uh, she actually looked at it and realized it wasn't a horror film, but Toxic Avenger is a, is a satire. It's a comedy. It's a melange of, uh, of genres. And, and uh, so she booked it. The day it opened, they had a line around the block. Somehow the public knew. I don't know how. They right. somehow knew. And then it ran a long time there, and then it went out. It eventually, it hit, uh, I think we made 100, 150 prints. Or well, it was a perfect time. It became it was, a huge hit, right. and, and it still is. Of course. So, Toxie's four, four movies. Uh, get mm -hmm. this. Uh, do you know there was a cartoon show called The Toxic Crusaders? With, mm -hmm. uh, here's a movie with a young boy's head getting squashed by the wheel of an automobile. Right. It, was made, uh, it, was it was made into a children's uh, environmentally correct Saturday morning cartoon show aimed at five-year-olds. How did that happen? I mean, of course, and, uh, you know, during that time, I believe that cartoon came out in the 80s, correct? Freddy Krueger also no, it had... came out. Uh, no, it came out. Yeah, you may be right, 89. It was very late 80s um, that it did. Freddy Krueger also had a television show uh, for children in the morning, which is unbelievably insane because, oh, uh, of course, he is a pedophile who uh, who was burnt by, uh, by folks of... Uh, you know, children that were, uh, were molested. Yeah, so yeah. it's wow. unbelievable, the, the idea. But that was, you know, the 70s, the 80s. What do you think was the best time? I, I mean, I feel like, you know, the Toxic Adventure came out at a perfect time. You know, what was it, 76, correct? Wake up, Mike. Mike. Floyd Kaufman here, me? Mike. What are <laughs> no. you? Mike's in dreamland. He's with it doesn't matter. He's, he's dreaming with Freddy Krueger. He's eating about Mike, what are you doing there? What do you think? Hey, put your I'm zipper listening. back up, buddy. Hey, you <laughs> filthy pig. Just because I mentioned uh, Brian Williams, there's no excuse. All right. <laughs> I can't believe it. ABC, no less. Oh, my. Heavens. I know it. Mike, come, come on, Mike. Yeah, please. I, I, no, I'll, is, this I'll, is I'll do better. Show. Get professional, <laughs> would it's, you? It's not, the, it's not the Pistol show. It's the Sissel show. All right. So the Toxic Adventure came yes. out. It was a perfect timing for it, right? The 70s, people were willing to uh, experiment with theater a little bit more. Do you? What was your favorite um, time for movie making? And what was your favorite time, just as far as culture and as a whole, when do you think was the golden age for quality unique independent film well i i i because i am, i was born in 1945 so i was nurtured on the classic and because i embraced the auteur theory my favorite inspirational movies were renoir and uh, john ford and howard hawks and chaplin and keaton and stan brackage the uh, experimental uh, the greatest visual artist of, of my lifetime uh, you know that sort of stuff. Right. So that to me, that was in terms of influencing me. That was the big, the big, the big deal. But what do you think Charlie Chaplin would think about your films? Well, you know what's interesting. Lenny Riefenstahl actually saw. You know, you know, she of Triumph of the Will. She was she shit it on Hitler's head and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> she uh, she actually saw the rough cut of uh, the Toxic Avenger. She uh, came to a screening. Uh, she used to stay at my father's house, uh, at my father's apartment in New York, uh, in, and, in, and this was in 82, maybe, mm -hmm. and she sat through the rough cut screening of uh, The Toxic Avenger. And, and what uh, was her reaction? Uh, <laughs> she said something, I, I saw it, <laughs> I watched, it was something like, she was very noncommittal, and uh, my stepmother was buddies with her, and uh, uh, there was a judge, some prominent judge who also came. I don't think they got a big kick out of it. Yeah. But I think Chaplin would have liked Charlie. Would have liked Toxie. The blind chick in uh, the blind gyno in uh, in Toxic Avenger is clearly lifted from City Lights. Right. Uh, Preston Sturgis is a big influence on Tromaville. I think those guys would have gotten it. Uh, yeah. I, uh, but but you know today we're in a great. I I have written six books railing against the uh, 
the uh, uh, what do you call it? economic blacklisting you know we can't get arrested because uh, the the pathways to the public are controlled by Rupert Murdoch and and mm-hmm. and the four or five giant devil worshipping international media conglomerates uh, so we're out there um, starving What's been one of the most... But, but may I say, in, in their favor, they're giving us some great movies and TV shows. It's like another mm. golden age. I'm just, you know, the problem is if you're not in league with one of the vassals of one of these devil-worshipping uh, international media conglomerates, right. uh, you're, you're screwed. Of course. What was an experience that you had, the worst experience of censorship that you found? Well, I think the most damaging to us was the MPAA, uh, Motion Picture Association mm-hmm. of America, rating board because they have a double standard. Uh, and during the 80s, when we were ascendant and mm-hmm. when there was opportunity before the, um, the uh, lobbying stopped uh, competition in the media, uh, we were given our ratings mm. that were basically PG ratings. Uh, Troma's War uh, was totally, in order to get into the movie theaters in those days, you had to have an R rating or milder. And with Troma's War, the MPAA forced us to cut, to totally disembowel the movies, mm. while at the same time, Die Hard, uh, which had serious uh, disturbing violence, right. was permitted uh, free. Those two movies, if you put them side by side, you can see the double standard and how the MPAA rating board uh, was one of the main reasons that so few independent uh, companies were able to survive right. because if you couldn't get in the movie theaters without uh, destroying your movie, without disemboweling your movie, uh, how are you going to... Uh, when Nature Calls, my brother's movie, mm-hmm. we had a, a, a section in it that was a takeoff on uh, on um, uh, the De Niro uh, boxing movie. Raging Bull. Raging Bullshit, we called it. It was called Raging Bullshit, <laughs> written and directed by my brother. It was a short piece within Nature Calls. Right. And, you know, Raging Bull has got all this fucking shit. Every other right. word's a curse word. So we did a takeoff with a guy looking like uh, De Niro, and every other word out of his mouth was beep, 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 beep. Oh, the dialogue was all beeps. Right. They made us cut it out to get an R rating. That's the kind of shit they did to us. So uh, mm. fuck Jack Valenti, fuck the MPAA. And they have put, never mind Troma, they didn't put us out of business. But with Troma's War, they could have. If most right. independent movie studios take loans from banks, and if their movies fail, they have to pay the interest and they go out of business. Mm. Uh, you know, they got to pay the loan back of or course. they declare bankruptcy. Luckily, we cleverly put up our own money, so we didn't uh, have to pay any interest uh, and we didn't have to pay any banks back. We just had to live in refrigerator cartons. Right. But but So that... that the the whole MPAA when we had a chance, uh, now it doesn't matter because the MPAA and the big studios have won. MPAA is owned and operated by the uh, conglomerates, mm-hmm. so they've won. There's no independent uh, movie studio of any uh, uh, of any uh, import that gets its movies into right. movie theaters, and and you had to pay for the MPAA. You had to pay for the for the uh, for the censoring for, to obliterate your movie. Right. And the other problem is when video came along. We made some great video cassette deals before we started distributing ourselves on video cassette. Yeah, and they those companies required us to have the R rating because otherwise they couldn't get the cassettes into the stores. So we had to go and obliterate our movies in order to get the R rating in order for the video cassette distributors to give us the money uh, for the rights to video cassette land. So So you really had to alter your work. They had to destroy it. We destroyed it. Toxic Avenger. 20 minutes was, had to be taken out of the United States uh, uh, version. Mm. In France, France, 30 seconds. And, and in France, mm. uh, 13-year-olds could see it. In America, it was limited to 16-year-old, and we get t- uh, 20 minutes had to be taken out. Canada, where, is Canada anywhere near U.S.? Is it so, uh, it's a little bit like the U.S. Yeah. Uh, they took out like 45 seconds. Um, so you find that the MPAA is more conservative in, in the United States than it is abroad? No, they are there to serve the uh, studios. They are mm. there not to protect the public. With uh, uh, The MPAA rating board, it, it, now it doesn't matter. It's moot. But in right. those days when the, when the independent studios had a shot, mm-hmm. the MPAA was there to destroy the independents. It was there to serve the big conglomerates, to let them go through with the... Uh, bullet hits and and with Troma's war they took out punches punches in the face they took out dead bodies we had to take them out so they're there to protect the studios against the uh, competition they're not there to protect the public and and Sam Fuller I don't know if you know who he was he, he was a great independent uh, he did shock corridor steel bayonet uh, the thin red line uh, 
uh, major, major uh, uh, independent director, although Fox distributed his movies, mm -hmm. but he had total freedom. He was an auteur. I was friendly with him. He loved Troma's War. He told me that every problem, every issue, it boils down to two things, uh, money and women. Censorship is not necessarily about women, but it's all about money. Right. It's all about the gold that the big boys want to keep and, and stop the other people from mm -hmm. getting. And I'm writing an article right now for a book uh, where I'm, I'm regurgitating a lot of the, the reason I'm talking about it is uh, I've been writing this article and, and uh, about our experience with censorship. Right. They used to even send with squeeze play Buffalo newspaper. They drew. They didn't consult us. They drew. Uh, we had uh, um, gynos in the poster. Mm -hmm. uh, it's cute. They got baseball gloves. They're cute. And the Buffalo newspaper drew uh, like Bermuda shorts on them mm. by with a with a Sharpie. You know, it looked like and we paid for the ads. They didn't even tell us. That's the way it went. Yeah, that's how it went. Variety. We took a we took an ad in Variety. Uh, we wanted to take an ad in Variety and Hollywood Reporter during the Oscars because the Oscars are scum. We wanted to take an ad saying, uh, for your consideration, uh, a beautiful ad, Surf Nazis Must Die, for your mm -hmm. consideration. We have a right to do that, right? Uh, they wouldn't. They they uh, they took our money and then they they kicked out the ad. Mm. I think they gave us our money back. Hollywood Reporter did run the ad, but Variety actually they, they said it was an insult to the Academy. Right, an insult to the Academy. How about the movie with the? It, it's it's such baloney. It's all right. there to. Uh, Variety is the house organ for the big conglomerates. So you know, but I mean, the big conglomerates, in all fairness, today I have to admit they're giving us great movies and they're giving us. Uh, great uh, TV shows. So right. Fuck me. I'm ignorant. I'm I'm very ignorant on this. No, you're not. Don't you say in, that. Don't you say that. In, no, Mike in, is ignorant, but you. Yeah, ben, yeah. No, no, Mike. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Thank I'm you so much, sorry, Lloyd. Mike. Mike, you're ignorant. That's very true. <laughs> not I'm wrong, kidding. But, That's not true, Mike. Um, I can't even see you. No, now I see you. When did nice when smile. did when did ratings really become um, part? of uh, cinema in America. Was this something that happened I in the 80s or was it the 70s? Because my generation, I was born in 1981, uh, we've had ratings and all of our movies, you know, kids now have parental advisory on every, well, they don't buy CDs anymore, but back when, that, when those existed, uh, we can't imagine a world without a rating system. When did that system actually come into place? Well, they spun it. The studios uh, or the conglomerates spun it. Um, I think it started in the late 60s. I don't okay. recall exactly when, but they spun it like, hey, everybody, this is going to be great because mm -hmm. instead of having territorial censor boards like Maryland and uh, different territories, right. we're going to unify all the censorship. Uh, we'll take it away from the church and we'll liberate the censorship. But all they did was they took control of it so they could screw the the competition to the mm -hmm. cartel of, uh, of, uh, of Paramount and Warners and uh, the four or five giant... Uh, Conglomerates. At any point, did you think about going to work for one of them? Uh, no, I never did. Um, I did think because about that must be pretty enticing, right? And I'm sure that you that you were recruited. I could. Well, <laughs> you've just listened to me for a half hour. You think anybody recruited me? <laughs> I what do, I am yeah. what I am very surprised is that nobody ever tried to recruit Michael Hers because he's so capable. He's yeah. uh, run Troma. He's the boss there, and he my partner, and he has somehow kept us in business. I honestly don't know how. Because right. uh, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse as the as the uh, conglomerates have gotten more and more control over the marketplace mm -hmm. by lobbying and getting rid of uh, the consent decree in of 1948, which permitted them to own and control the theaters. Prior to Reagan, the theaters were territorial and mm. family owned, and you, the the conglomerates weren't allowed to control them. What was that called? The consent to Con what? Consent decree. The consent decree in 1948. Okay. The studios owned the theaters, and mm. that was too vertically integrated uh, during Truman, and they got rid of it. They stopped the theaters from being owned by the uh, conglomerates. Right. Then, yeah. But during Reagan's time, they, that consent decree was done away with, so the studios could either own or control the theaters. So Sony bought right. Lowe's cinemas, uh, things mm. like that. And that that was the death knell for real independent movies for getting into the theaters because once the theater chains consolidated and the theaters uh, c could control them, they could open a movie at 2,000 theaters and advertise all at once. We couldn't do that. Right? right. We used to go area by area. We could open in New York and have 50 theaters with the Toxic Avenger, which we did, and take enough advertising so we'd be the big movie of that Friday. Now we, we can get one theater if we're lucky. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. In New York. Can you explain a little bit? Because, you know, it is 
the entertainment business is so massive, and of course the movie industry is uh, global and extremely powerful. How do the Oscars work? I have no idea, except that it's fixed. That's all I can tell you. Right. It seems very fixed. It seems to. I think you have to ask Harvey Weinstein that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks to me like a lot of money helps. You take a lot of advertising right. and trade. It looks like very much like it's an election sort of. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know. I sure know that that show sucks. They sure have <laughs> shitty Oscar shows. I can, I you can't watch that crap. It is. I, I have no idea how you te- theoretically have the most talented people in the world putting on one show. It should be good every year, and I don't think I I've could, ever seen a good Oscar. I could do better just improvising than their scripted Oscar show. Of course. It's horrendous. Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's, um, it's awful. Who's your favorite actor you've had a chance to work with? Uh, good question. Um, you know, again, we prefer, I prefer non-stars because right. they're real. In in Return to Newcom High, Volume One and Volume Two, uh, the lesbianic lovers uh, are, are Katie Cochran and Asta Paredes, mm. and and they're you know you don't look at them. Hey, that's not uh, Taylor Swift, right? If you look at Taylor, there's no way you can't in your head, no matter how good an actress she might be, that's Taylor Swift, right? You know? Uh, but uh, you don't know who Katie looks like a student and uh, Asta looks like a student and they're very good actors and uh, I prefer that kind of thing I prefer right. to use unknowns it's more fun and it and it, it gets the audience more into the crazy movies because our movies are totally unrealistic right so if we can put realistic looking people in there and and shoot on realistic uh, uh, locations the public just might kind of let themselves be transported to the Tromaville which is not exactly realityville no, it's definitely not Realityville. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wish that it was. But we've had, uh, you know, all I think every all the leads of all our movies have been uh, lovely. Uh, right. Uh, Katie Cochran and Asta Paredes in uh, Return to Newcomb High, which is two movies, two movies. You know, you have to sleep on the floor, eat cheese sandwiches three times a day, and learn how to defecate in a paper bag to make a trauma movie. Right. I mean, it's hard. And they they've been with. This is a four year, five year program. And they're starting to get put into better and better movies, right. and they're still coming in for the uh, ADR, which is the uh, you know voice. We have in the studio. We're getting ready for sound editing, yeah. and they're totally uh, you know good. They're wonderful. They're, they're totally nice people. Rick Janazi, the star of Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD, which we made in 1989, I think. Yeah. Uh, I just uh, was reunited with him because we're putting out the Blu-ray of Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. And I, I remember just torturing the poor guy. And, and <laughs> he had all these rosy memories of... Uh, and he was wonderful to work with. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we did a... Um, uh, stuff in Florida so he can put it, we can put it on the Blu-ray so here it yeah. is 25 years later uh, is there and an, he had such a nice he was such a nice guy then and now is there an actor that you feel you really assisted uh, getting into the mainstream someone like Marissa Tomei for example no with her I managed to uh, not notice I'm very good at not noticing talented people also <laughs> she was uh, basically a background person and you need to use your remote control uh, freeze frame to see her in Toxic Avenger right. but she did talk about it uh, she, when she got her Oscar uh, she put it in uh, in a lot of articles that she's not a lot, but I did read interviews with her where she mentioned that Toxic Avenger was her first on screen yeah. uh, experience. But Vincent D'Onofrio, he was great. He was a background person that showed up every day in the first turn on a, a, a comedy about camp, yeah. and uh, and D'Onofrio was uh, we just noticed he was he he'd be in the background, but he always did something amusing. So we started de- developing a. Um, a uh, character for him called right. lobotomy. Lobotomy, kind of a, um, well, what, what exactly what lobotomy might suggest. Right. And he was just funny as hell, and it got bigger and bigger, and he ended up as kind of a featured player. And uh, now when you see him on TV, he acts as if he's had a lobotomy. So it all, uh, <laughs> it all works out very beautifully. I Luckily, we don't live in an age of snark, so don't worry about what I've said. Oh, yeah, very no. Loving. Nothing. Very loving. Mm-hmm. I'm not bitter about anything. I'm just a sad old suicidal maniac. Uh, bipolar you mentioned Wes Craven earlier did you ever have a chance to meet him yes I did uh, twice and uh, a great guy and his films are brilliant and uh, very articulate in fact he we were filming you know our worst film is Tales from the Crapper it's an abomination (laughs) and nobody should see it all these famous people kind of you know they all helped us out on it because we had to fire the first set of directors the first director and entourage got fired and the second set which were trauma people i thought they would come out michael wanted to let them come out and direct what was left of the film mm-hmm. and all they did was come out and get drunk and take drugs and um so gabe friedman 
who, who, who was our editor and who wrote uh, Poultry Guys, Night of the mm. Chicken Dead, and edited many, many of our movies. Uh, we, um, we, tried to we tried to fix and reshoot Tales from the Crapper. Mm -hmm. And then Trey Parker helped us out. He, did a, he got his head crushed. And in fact, he told the aristocrats joke in Tales from the Crapper before the, uh, that movie came right. out. Uh, but but um, the, uh, Wes Craven happened to come onto the set that day. I don't remember how. But um, we let a kid, uh, well, there was a kid who wanted to raise money for his movie. And uh, Michael Hurst and I try to help other independent filmmakers. Right. We don't have any money to do it, but we try to at least give them an opportunity. So we let this guy do a party, and the people could be in the movie, the party scene, if they contributed to the kid's movie. Yeah. And Wes Craven happened to, I don't know how he got on this, how he came in. We were filming at the Troma offices in L.A. at that time. And he came in and, and uh, hung out. And um, I, and and he gave the kid a hundred bucks, and then uh, to, to for the movie. How nice was that? That's unbelievable. Yeah, in fact, we did an homage uh, to uh, Wes a uh, Wes uh, Craven. Um, uh, if you go to YouTube on the Troma YouTube channel, Troma Movies, we did a uh, uh, an homage to Wes Craven's uh, kindness and generosity. And somebody there behind the scenes filmed him uh, while he was on the set and filmed a little bit of exchange uh, that uh, he had and. How nice he was to give uh, this kid a hundred bucks. That's great, you know. And I'll tell you, that's why I that love. That kid was Steven Spielberg. Oh wow, isn't that something? <laughs> Amazing. Mm, what a story. Who he likes? Is Spielberg loves Tales from the Crapper. I disagree with him, but you, hey. know, you should check it out. It's a lot of mm -hmm. fun. Oliver Stone has a voiceover, has a uh, commentary track from time to time. Right. That's why I love horror movies so much because it tends to be some of the nicest. Uh, kindest people that uh, are stars yes. of horror movies. Rob Zombie, Absolutely. for example, is a very sweet man. Wes Craven, I've heard, is an unbelievably nice guy, and you just proved that point once again. What was uh, we got to wrap it By up? By the here. way, speaking of censorship, uh, D. Snyder is one of the heroes of that era because he mm -hmm. went down to Washington and told, gave a big fuck you to that fat pig uh, Tipper Gore, That's right. who was trying to tell adults what kind of move, music to listen to. Right? What the? And then the guy, the guy goes and runs for president. Right? Is Gore yeah. after? Uh, oops, ouch! After I just knocked the mic in my teeth. Uh, um, um, yeah, Al Gore went went on right. and run for the and presidency. And uh, took a, a Nobel Peace Prize without uh, paying tribute to the other two scientists. Uh, it's unbelievable. For, uh, the, uh, inconvenient, uh, whatever it was. Right. What was the one? Garbage. Do you have, do you have an experience that uh, stands out in your mind as one of your favorites? Something that you uh, are grateful you got into the entertainment business because of this particular moment. Well, honestly, Return to Newcomb High. It's two movies, and you know, it's the three-hour movie. The fact that I a totally underground filmmaker could make a movie that is of uh, of quality, a professional theatrical quality, that with no revenue, basically, somehow through our fans. Basically, uh, our fans are working for us for, for little or nothing. They're mm -hmm. acting for us for little or nothing. Our fans around the country, the trauma fans, they go to their local theater and tell the theater they want to see uh, Return to Newcomb High. And um, uh, I think that's the, the greatest satisfaction is that uh, right. we have these wonderful fans who really are. It's as if, you know, we only have about 10 employees. We, we've got thousands of it's as if we had a, a major the, a major right. studios uh, workforce because they're all out there. I've got 30,000 people on my Twitter. I'm 70 years fucking old, 70 <laughs> years. And I've got 30,000 fans who are totally devoted I don't know if they all are, but if our Facebook has got half a million, I think. Right. And they go out there, and uh, they're wonderful. And they even they also tell us what they want to see in the movies, and they give us ideas for um, other for upcoming films and for mm -hmm. technology. Our young fans are the ones who told us to uh, get into DVD. I never heard of DVD. Right. I had a lot of VD, but uh, you know, <laughs> not much about. They told us to set a, a, a website, yeah. and Troma was the first the first studio as far as i know to have a uh, to actually have a website roger ebert acknowledged that fact that i was the first studio head to be online i was on CompuServe, and uh, he said it yeah 
So it's I mean, thanks to our fans. We got a, the fans. Right. The Troma is a fan-driven company from the beginning, from well, the very beginning. Right, and I think they love you, and I think you should take great pride in maintaining your independence, right? This I, is one of the reasons that people are driven to Troma, and this is why Troma is a, uh, is a uh, shining light in a whole sea, uh, in a whole sea of uh, corporations and greed. Well, I think it's a good lesson that as I'm starting to wear depends, mm-hmm. the notion of independence uh, uh, shines uh, for young people who are living kind of in an age of, of, of political correctness and right. giant uh, conglomerates uh, on all the food shelves. And uh, it, it, it's a, a great that Troma still is able to survive. And it is all thanks. It's all thanks to the fans. That's why we put up about 250 of our movies for free on the Troma Movies channel on YouTube. And also there are a lot of my Make Your Own Damn Movie videos, probably 100 yeah. lessons on how we raise money and how we... Uh, how we distribute our movies and how we cast and all that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's all on the Troma Movie Channel for free to thank our fans for helping us, for, for supporting us for 40 years. And like you mentioned earlier, born in 1945, to have adaptability and uh, you know recognize new technologies, utilize new technologies, embrace them, and really excel at them is something that uh, people who, um, people who uh, go away, that disappear, don't do. You know, well, so I think that's very, very smart on your part. Well, I thank you. I do have to take my typewriter away now, uh, so I've got to take it home. I can't lend it to you. But uh, it's oh, all thanks a- to young people who work right. for us. You know, they, they, they have the right to tell us to go fuck ourselves. You know, they can, they, they, and they can, they give us new ideas, and they, uh, I, I can't, I wouldn't be able to. Right. I don't know how to edit on on uh, digital. I don't know how to do it. Right. But we've got the young people who are not afraid to uh, push us into the new new equipment. Right. Just real quick, uh, final question, just to bring some context to the time that we're living in right now. Do you think culture is more politically correct now than it was when you began? And do you think it's more difficult with getting away with edgy material now than it was uh, in the 1970s? This is a horrible era we're living in. It is the worst. The era of Al Sharpton, the era of snark, the era of political correctness. It's never been worse from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really horrendous. You can't say anything without uh, somebody and the stuff that's supposedly so edgy. It's not edgy. It isn't. It's it's politically correct edginess. You know, we, I mean, it's a, an example. I'm not the first to say this, but Mel Brooks. It's hard to believe, but he, uh, even though I look a lot like Mel Brooks, he's a big inspiration to trauma, and and. Um, uh, blazing saddles. Right. You couldn't the Cleavon little Cleavon whatever his name is. You couldn't do that today. Yeah, they say the N word multiple times. I mean, I think it's very tragic that we are the first generation to look at our parents' generation and think that they were more badass than us. It, which is really sad. Uh, it's it's very it's awful. It right. is horrible. Even uh, I I did a uh, I put up the what are supposed to be funny videos and I did a takeoff of that woman. The NAACP president, uh, the white woman who identified so-called. Oh, Rachel Dolezal. Yeah, I did a takeoff where I went on. Uh, I, I pretended to have a press conference and I admitted that I'm a white guy, and you can tell by my small penis. And here, watch me dance, <laughs> you know. And and nobody at Troma was willing. I wanted to have an, uh, uh, the, all the uh, people there in the seats to, to be pressed to pretend it's a press conference. Right. Only one guy. Uh, only one guy, uh, Joseph from the Canary Islands, hmm. he, 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 he sat there. So I actually ended up as a good laugh because we didn't show, in the middle of it, we showed the press conference and there was like one guy taking notes. Right, and, right, and, right, right. <laughs> but, but you know, they were afraid to be in that. Yeah. They didn't want to be, they, they didn't have to say anything. They just had to be scribbling notes. Well, I admit I'm a white guy with a small penis. You know, people. Total are, true, too. It's not even a lie. It's true. Well, that's not what I've heard, Lloyd. you got a massive hog. <laughs> I know that that's a Ben Kissel fact. Well, it is bigger now, thanks to you and hey, Mike. No, no Mike problem. especially. Mike. Yeah, you heard it from me. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it was a real honor to meet you, and uh, it was uh, such a pleasure to hear your story, and uh, you're unbelievably creative, and thank you for all the work that you've done in your, you know, extremely, what, I guess, quarter of a century, more than that, film career at this point. Well, we need uh, help from you, and thank you so much for paying attention to Troma's 42 years of uh, of failed filmmaking. And please, oh if God. there are any fans out there listening, please uh, go to uh, Troma Movies on YouTube and uh, watch, and then... Uh, Go to uh, our website and buy some T-shirts. Or- yeah, buy some T-shirts, support uh, everything that Troma does. Go watch The Toxic Avenger. It holds up. It's unbelievably funny. Of course, pause it when you look at Marissa Tomei. Watch it for five minutes and move on. 
<laughs> That'll be perfect. Moveon.org. Moveon.org. <laughs> um, all right, Lloyd, you're also on Twitter. You're just at Lloyd Kaufman? At Lloyd Kaufman, yep. And Troma's got a Facebook. Uh, I've got a, we got all that stuff. Awesome. Um, and oh. I answer, I do my own Twitter. I answer all that stuff. So if you're on Twitter, uh, I, I, I answer everything. Right now, I'm about to do the, in fact, uh, Brian Quinn from uh, Impractical Jokers. Mm, yeah. He's going to join me on the new commentary track for the 25th anniversary Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD Blu-ray. And I've asked the fans if they have any questions about Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD, uh, uh, tweet them at me, and I've mm-hmm. taken notes. I've got about 20 questions from fans. But if any of yours are listening, uh, nope. uh, write them down and send them to me on Twitter. Find Lloyd on Twitter. He'll answer all of your questions about Sergeant Kabuki Man, and I'm sure they're going to be fascinating questions and amazing answers. And naked pictures of Taylor Swift would be appreciated. Hey, yeah, absolutely. Send those. Him, yeah, yeah. Uh, You can find Mike Coscarelli on Twitter, at Mike Coscarelli. Make yeah. sure to check out his podcast, Social Villains. He does that with a fellow named Gene Getman. Very nice fella. Yeah. Um, okay, you can also... Wait, can I, can I also... Yeah, of course. Uh, can I just plug... I'm, at the, I'm in the Hoboken Comedy Festival, oh. uh, October 1st. Uh, Corinne Fisher is headlining that, and it's a, it's a good lineup. So tickets are like 20 bucks, I think, if you guys are around in Hoboken... October 1st. I did the festival a few years ago. It's a great festival. October 1st. Go see Mike Coscarelli. Uh, You're going to love him, and he's a very handsome guy. Kabuki Man was shot in Hoboken. Much of the famous car flip, the big car flip in Hoboken. It was great. Wonderful place and very funny. Very funny town. It was hilarious. It's all coming together. You can listen to my other programs on Cave Comedy Radio, A Blinken's Top At, The Round Table of Gentlemen, and The Last Podcast on the left. I'm also going to be appearing on Red Eye at Three o'clock in the morning on Fox News, yeah. uh, the twenty fourth. I'm filming at the twenty third, but it airs the twenty fourth at three o'clock in the morning. So set your DVRs for that because yeah. God knows you'll be sleeping. Um, all right, everyone. I'm also on Twitter at Ben Kissel, and uh, that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>